Welcome. You're listening to the 3.0 edition of the Brain Fuzz Arts, Music, and Culture podcast with Joe Kamusa and Matthew White. Today, in episode 66, Joe and Matthew review their Omicron Arts reading stacks. Sources from decades past are examined. Hallmarkian is used as a descriptor while consonants are lost behind masks. Recording locations change, and the audio pick of the day is amended, creating the first hybrid brain fuzz episode. For more information and links to resources on this episode, you can always find the show notes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. And now, safely masked and socially distanced, here are Joe and Matthew. Here we go. I don't know how long it's been since we uh, saw each other face to face in the real world. Uh, I don't know. Months. Uh, Could it take, be a year? I don't know. I have no right. I mean, I'm glad we were able to do, you know, speak virtually. It was and somewhere visit in the world. Yes, we have spoken virtually. I know we, we saw some. It must have been an opening somewhere. But yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, but we're taking a post Omicron opportunity here to um, put something down on tape and kind of go through some things that have been on our minds. And by the way, we are in Joe's studio, which is where, you know, we started it all at your studio. That's true. Way back. (laughs) But here we are. Yes. And in the new studio. Your first time seeing it in, in the flesh? In the flesh. I've done virtual visits. Behind a mask. And yes, we are masked. We are recording masks. So if we sound a little funny. Yeah. But um, Good practice. We've been both doing a lot of reading over the holidays and the Omicron period. You have brought... Yeah, but I'm going to let you start. You know... I'm still, uh, still kind of writing and thinking and on this pile of stuff, but... Um, so I've been reading through, and I haven't finished it yet at this time, but it's Ai Weiwei's A Thousand Years of Joys and Sorrow. And it's a fascinating book. It's putting a lot of things in context uh, for me that I had missed previously and have been thinking about just in the way that our lives are going right now. Dropped a copy off with Joe. But... Um, Oh, I thought you said drop the coffee. I dropped. Like, coffee sounds great. It's the mask. It's the mask. Yeah, thanks very much. I look forward to digging into that. It's, look, I'm telling you, it is a great read. It, it's difficult emotionally to read at times, but the insights in that book, and I was not, I was not, I didn't set out to, I just found it and started reading it, and it's, um... And it's a good one. But then also, and I was just telling Joe this, that um, I've also been reading How to Be an Artist. It was a holiday gift. Jerry Saltz. And Joe's familiar with just about much of the material, it, it sounds like. It, well, he, it's, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I am yet to, uh, to read it. But I believe the majority of it has been uh, culled from his... New York Magazine yes. column for years, and uh, and he's published or, and had links on his uh, lovely Instagram. So there's some, you know, obviously some really good well I didn't, content in there. Yeah, and I didn't want to like it. Really? Why? I didn't want to like it. I didn't, I didn't feel I should like it. 
You don't it was like, not something I should like. You do not like Jerry, or you don't like the how to how to. Books? No, I have a new appreciation for Jerry, Jerry's work, and um, I was jokingly saying that I'm treating it almost as a devotion for a creative person, for the creative mind. It's nice to kind of come back during all these crazy times that we've experienced uh, to come back and refocus, maybe get a fresh perspective. You don't just burn through this book. It's something you just pick up a little bit at a time. But um, one of the one of the things in here is there are no wasted days. Your artist mind is always working, even when you think it's idling. In the studio, even doing nothing can be a form of working. This is also true when you're out walking, traveling, worrying, staying awake all night, whatever. All these things will be part of your work. Very and true. it's so true. It's so true. Now it's hard to remind yourself that that's true. <laughs> but in recent times when we have so much downtime, yeah, or we're not doing what we planned on doing or we're not maybe where we envisioned ourselves being, it's really uh encouraging to uh to hear that and to read that. So you know, that's just one of the little things I've picked up recently. I think it's important to get to hear, you know, that kind of validation. Because I think we're all thinking we always have to be working at 100 miles an hour. And yeah. there's times when, you know, we've said it how many times on this show, where you have to, you're, you are probably working on a problem deep in your brain while you're, you know, literally, I don't know, sanding a piece of wood or whatever. Like some of those more mundane, sweeping the floor. Yeah. The age old cleaning the studio routine, which I think works for a lot of people. You know, to get ready for a show or what have you, but um, you know, but I agree. Like to just burn through those lists, you probably will, because uh, he loves a good listicle. Uh, if you just fly through it, yeah. you know. But some of those will, you know, they do ring true. And and he's as a writer, he's dealing with the same thing, and even more so with like weekly deadlines that sound uh, pretty horrible to deal with. He says something to that effect of, you know, that's this is why I write weekly. Something to that effect. He's kind of crazy. I mean, think about it. Like, he doesn't... They eat the same food every day. Uh, I guess I know more about cherry salts than I want to. Um, You know, they go out, they look at work, and then they come back and they they buy coffee from, like, a deli. They don't even have a coffee maker. I don't understand how you can drink shitty coffee like that. But uh, So the fridge is full of, like, big gulp coffee things. And they eat, like, chicken and broccoli. And from a health thing, like, it's all takeout. And it's like they... they're, it's very monastic almost. It revolves just like going to you know the million galleries that are in New York and and writing and so I've always, I've enjoyed watching him give us that glimpse when you see him holding up like the legal pads and then him at the computer and like you know it looks like a this a still from a beautiful mind yeah you know when he's out in that garage um, but you know it makes you at least think like okay I'm not crazy doing what I do you know mm-hmm. uh, or what you do with your do like when all these people that are toiling away in a studio sometimes for not because someone's telling you to do it you're not working on the clock or for a paycheck and it's just like because you have to do it so I think that's when that kind of stuff's rewarding now were you bristling at just like yet another and I'm sure you can I'm looking at a bookshelf here and there's how many of those kind of Say you want to be an artist, kind of book. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Like the the way to make a living is to write yeah. the book. No, part of part of me was that I was afraid of that, 
it did not turn out to be that. There are these, I don't know if you know this, there are these little exercises throughout the book. Oh, nice. Uh, that you can follow. And, um, um, which is interesting, but also helpful. I mean, again, it, it, if, if you're stuck and you just need to jump in somewhere, I think it's really helpful in that regard. Then, then another piece of this, going back to the it's all in your work, is whatever you're doing, you know, this idea that there are no wasted days. It's also true when your creative pursuits are taking you in a different direction. I said a couple of episodes previously that we've embarked on this uh, remodel project of this uh, property. And I've spent a lot of time doing drawings and taking measurements. of, And, and that's not really what I envision. But I also see from a creative uh, standpoint how that not only feeds you, yeah. um, but it's, um, it's an exercise that you don't know what is going to come from that. And then also what the byproducts are going to be. And that, there are a couple of, couple of essays in here that speak to that. So that's, uh, that, that's another something I've gotten out of this. Again, the book, How to Be an Artist. Jerry Salt. It's a, the it's a pretty fantastic. little book, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really nicely done. Very pretty. Oh, and the um, and what's I don't know if you've seen. I mean, the sample, the the works that are in here, the print quality is such that you can just enjoy it for that. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, they did a really good job with it. This has been out for years now, hasn't it? Uh, I think so. I just now. I, and this whole last two years has been just. I know, right? Time is. And yes, a. 2018 Pulitzer Prize in criticism. Nice. Yeah. I, d I pulled a book off the shelf that uh, most of these essays are circa 90, 93-ish, which is a, a lifetime ago. Yeah. Wait, did I... No, this isn't that old. You know what? I can't trust my brain here. Hang on. Um, some of these are from 1990, 91... All right, so, yes, yeah, so we're back into the 90s. Think of this, like pre-Nirvana. Think of that. <laughs> That's, so Mira Shore, uh, thinker, writer, critic, artist. Uh, anyway, but she's just, you know, it's amazing how, I think is the word prescient, but some of these things, reading, reading them now, are as right on the money in terms of where we are with um, where curating is right now, where about art and the market and money and how, you know, I don't think there really is the farm system anymore to use a, a baseball analogy, but like artists coming out of um, school, having time to work. Um, and that sounds so Hallmarkian, I think, you know, cause I'm sure those were horrible years for people to be like, you know, working as a delivery person or a bartender for 15 years in obscurity, making their art at night. But, um, but there does seem to be say something about people that had the time, though, to make a couple bodies of work and then come upon some ideas versus to just come right out of school and you're showing at a decent gallery and you're selling work. And, you know, and, and of course, that's too, too late to put that kind of back in the bottle. But um, I, I feel like we're coming out of this. But, you know, for a while there, like painting was dead again Yeah. in the... What do we call in the last decade? Like they—they they weren't the aughts, right? The teens. What were like? What was like 2012 to? The teens, I guess. All right, but 
but yeah, I think that was still I was hearing that a lot more. Like I don't feel like I hear that at all anymore. Mm-mm. You know, and there was something I've encountered though with people that were have had careers and have gone to like really good schools and all that, but with the saying that they don't understand painting or that they don't understand abstraction. And I know we've laughed about that on here before, where you're still like, how do you not understand it, even from a cursory, with how it's been shoved down everybody's throat for you know <laughs> yeah, since the yeah. '40s? Like I don't, yeah. I don't. It's not some little obscure thing. Like, yeah, I don't understand Mexican cave painting. I don't. Uh... <laughs> so anyway, as somebody who you know has started uh, having what a privilege it is to have people come into a studio for a quote studio visit, and um, you know those conversations can be. Uh, interesting at best, fraught at times, silent. You know, where do you start? Do you, you know, we always talk about it's probably where someone like Jerry is a, a welcome uh, relief. Um, so I think someone like Mira Shore, I dig into some of these just to kind of get a different vantage point. And also, it gives me uh, a bit of courage to just say, well, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm making what I'm making and it might not fit the current. Uh, um, Mood or fad or whatever, but uh, if any of these books tell us anything, it's like you have to do what you do. That is, and maybe yes. you're lucky if every now and then you you seem to be in the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. and that's got to be enough. And um, you know, that's my only happy hallmark thing about the last uh, two years. I mean, to be lucky enough to have a space that's I can work in every day and you know on a good day like Gustin said you know I think a lot of the voices do leave your head and you just keep working yes and uh, you know who knows what how much more can you control or try to control or so some days like those I think that's a gift when you have projects like you're talking about some days where you can use your brain you're engaged whether it's drawing I don't know, shelving for a closet or whatever the hell it is. Yes. It's creative problem solving yes. and there's and there's a tangible end in sight sometimes. That's like right. probably why yeah. all those damn home improvement shows and cooking shows are so popular. Yep. I have found myself watching people like anonymous landscapers just pulling up and taking care of like a derelict lawn. I've actually watched something like that on YouTube and I thought I feel guilty about it. Like I didn't have anything better to do, but it was actually soothing to like, wow, look at them making that look so nice. <laughs> so anyway, I think, like you get the endpoint insight yeah. and you get there. Yeah. I looked at it, I'm like, is this going to yeah. take 15 minutes? And I think I watched all 15 yeah. minutes of it. I was like, damn it. But, uh, you know, I don't know that, that point that you brought up, I think that's very important. And I, I say that often because I have found myself like, you know, fairly stressed about some deadlines and, uh, you know, even if you one day you feel like you finished some work and it's where it needs to be, and then because the deadline hasn't passed, then you start second guessing it, think, oh, I, I should be working even harder, and I should stay up and maybe make three more things, and you know, it's just versus having to settle down and trust yourself and just think like, okay, well, maybe while you are out walking, you're sorting through. Yes. You know, it's cra- it's crazy work. It really is. You know, I just, I just keep reminding myself, no one's asking us to do it. So it's well, it's unstructured. It's it's the lack of structure. If you don't have those deadlines or if you don't have um, if you sometimes you just create these goals for yourself to give yourself the right. structure in this. What's what's interesting in, across these essays is that it, there is that recurring theme of exactly what you're just talking about is that you're going to make what you make. 
But isn't that humbling? Yeah. Well, it it's uh, it's also it takes some pressure off, doesn't it? I mean, it's in some ways. I mean, the the pressure is if you're not producing as much as you think you should and producing the thing that will sell or the thing that people want to see. I mean, that's 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 difficult, but it's freeing to know that in the end you're going to make what you make. I I, I agree with you, and on that that can be positive. I'm gonna be honest here for a second and I realize I think I'm too honest especially like in studio settings <laughs> and yet I just can't seem to help myself um, I guess I always have this expectation like say for a, an upcoming show or what have you or a you know, new body of work that it's going to be something be- better different culmination of you know years of, of work and study and um so there gets this this pressure of you know I'm not going to do this like a set of rules. All right, I've done this before. This this like let's get, try to get rid of that or get rid of some tools like to just in an event to try to you know break new ground. And then like you said, to suddenly realize like you know what like I can beat my head against the wall, stay up all night, whatever. But it's it's going to be what it's going to be. I'll work like hell to fine tune it and all of that. But in the end, like however you know whether you have a week. Or six months or a year, like it's still gonna be like the work's gonna be the work. That's the part I wrestle with, if that makes any sense. Like I might want it to be, you know, shiny and gold and this and that, and yet it's still gonna kinda look like like I it's like my hand, I can't get away from it. And I, I don't necessarily know if it's a bad thing. I'm not I don't know if I'm speaking more about ambition and or desire for growth, but does that make any sense? Yeah, you know? it does. And in one of these essays he says he says to finish it, finish it, and move on. Oh, yeah. You know? That's the other piece of it. The greatest thing is I'm looking forward to, like, for instance, work goes to the framer. Guess what? I can't can't touch it. It's yeah. It's glass. It's done. Uh, or, like, when the truck comes to pick up work, that is, it's truly liberating. Another artist who will be, uh, a, a, I believe that's on the, on the list coming up, had one of those mornings. I got a text, and he's like, yeah, truck comes, like, Monday at 830 was picking up work for two shows. Yeah. And, wow. And he was just like, it sounded like parents that I've heard talk about, like when their kids, like the empty nesters, <laughs> just so happy to have an empty studio. Uh, so when that happens for you, do you have a, is there also like um, a vacuum? What am I going to do now? No, because I like, I think that there are no, let me just say there are no rules in terms of like people's studio practice. Some people need to travel half the year and then they come in and it's a sustained some people work periodically like there are no I'm one of those that has to work kind of every day yeah. and there's always something for the pile and, and sometimes the pile is the recycle but um, that's just where I'm at in life it's I've kind of engineered things to get to this point and that's I'm probably happiest and most productive um, so luckily the whole studio doesn't leave there's usually still things that are or things that didn't turn out maybe experiments that I can either revisit so it's kind of like I learned as a kid reading um, I always hated when I would finish a book it was always like yeah you know it's really hard to start another one so that's when I started like multi multi books at least two books so that I never quite had that there's always something you're invested in well and if Um, you have a really good one and then you finish it and then there's 
what am yeah. I going to do? I'm and struggling then, right yeah. now with like trying to get back into like some, some ones some, that are in the early stages, and they're and it's tough. Like one's yeah. kind of like a James Joyce kind of thing, where uh-huh. it's like, oh, this is to submit to that. Yeah, it's tough. It's been anyway. um, so. Well, yeah, I, I'm a little different that way. I, I do like when the stuff leaves because then I don't have to think about should I have done this? Should I? Uh, should I? You know, too many, too many damn questions. So, uh, I literally was talking to another artist friend the other day about this very thought. So, like that book you mentioned, and, and there's a slew of books on that shelf over there that are as inspirational or motivational instructional I can't speak anymore but um, and I remember thinking have they all been written as I like you know scribble stuff down and cut out articles and file them away and and I just remember thinking like I wonder if I could put something together just this was just like a daydream you know and you think about how much work that is but like all the quotes you know because there still would be different than like Stuart's book, I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I believe is the Art Life. Yep. Um, makes it look easy. Like oh, just uh-huh. you know, and you think. But um, but and, but how much is it changing too? So over the last two years, the landscape. Right, but we, you know, as you and I always come yeah. to the table with these piles, and you just think like, wow, like would, I wonder if it would ever be interesting to try to put this together into some kind yeah. of format. And I think that's where like salts, like you know. Um, I'm sure having editors, but and being trained to write in that format for, like, say, uh, New York Magazine, sure, it was still a ton of work, but it, you can see how it was like the, the screenplay to the movie was yeah. fairly seemed like a way to go. Versus, I'd be pulling stuff out of notebooks that are 15 years old or whatever, or books. But I started thinking, like, is there a better way to start kind of archiving? Because I find myself in my own way referring to these disparate things or pulling out old books and rereading essays to fill that same um, or scratch that itch like you're talking about with that Jerry Salt's book. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, like, am I missing it? Is this what I should be working on instead of like some of these damn paintings that I just need to probably take a razor blade to and move on? But well, along those lines, I wonder when we look, we've got a nice, pretty neat little book like this. But we don't see what all went in the garbage. No, that's true. And I, and I am curious about that. I mean, how many bad ideas does this guy have? Well, you know, you gotta. You gotta have them. You though, gotta right? have, yeah, yeah. because uh, I don't know. It's been interesting, and uh, I feel like we're all blaming it on COVID. But I do think the the lack of you know interaction over the last couple of years, um, I have noticed it's like been really difficult. Like, just say in the last couple of months with some studio visits in here. And yeah, you know, you can take the pressure off. Say, oh, you're, you're out of practice. But I'm mean, like, it's really hard to, uh, to switch from just 100 miles an hour in, in uh, I'm going to use your favorite word, maker mode. You know, where you're not, not really thinking too much about, you know, what's this work's name or... And then, but to actually then try to articulate it. And through a mask. And, you know, it's like, it's... It kind of feels like... You know, you're standing on one leg trying to balance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this, this breathing thing is still weird. And I just, you know, but uh, I don't know about you, but I, I can feel my brain just going off the rails. And sorry to sound like a, and we're not, uh, there's no alcohol or caffeine going. No. 
And, I just uh, had a little kombucha. That's all. But uh, it's it's really kind of weird. What is this right here? Lawyers, guns, and money. What is that? That is some kind of a crime novel, uh, or a, it's about crime novels. Uh, this is a page out of the New York uh, Times book review. Uh, the other oh, side. That's what, oh, that's what. Sorry. Was, uh, okay. So to bring it back to art, this is a great. Uh, Relevance be damned was the subject, and uh, this is a book called Authority and Freedom, A Defense of the Arts by Jed Pearl. So I don't know about how you feel about Jed Pearl. Jed Pearl's not one of my favorite critics, but he's been doing it forever, so I mean, I respect the platform, but it's kind of that older mode of voice of God kind of, Uh, which doesn't, you know, I don't know if that exists anymore. Ah, mm. Like even Jerry, Jerry's more of a pop Smacks of hierarchy, doesn't it? He does. But you know, like when I think about, and bear with me, but when I think about like Clement Greenberg more so than Harold Rosenberg, Uh how did that one man get that much power? Right. Uh, And hold on to it for a long time and just, Wow. Uh, but uh, so he's written this book, and uh, the thesis is interesting, though, and it's something you and I have been talking a lot about, and it's something that is dicey. And I'm quoting John Adams, who is the reviewer in this. Uh, he says, His tone is urgent, and this is a quote of Jed Pearl I want us to release art from the stranglehold of relevance, from the insistence that works of art, whether classic or contemporary, are validated by the extent to which they line up with, or fail to line up with, our current social and political concerns. And you're just thinking like, wow, you said it. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I feel like I shouldn't really, because I haven't read the book yet, and I'm debating whether I want to read it, but it kind of is uh, near and dear to me. And uh, it's probably why I'm dipping back into, like, say, the 90s and uh, via Mira Shore and uh, thinking like that must have been hell to be a painter then <laughs> you know and, yeah. uh, and being out of favor but uh, it just you know so I think I will for a future episode I will I will need to um, okay. yeah. you know what I think I'll uh, I think I'll order it myself a bit of a book discussion huh yeah well I mean that's the only thing alright let's you know. uh, let's see here a Defense of the Arts, Jed Pearl. All right. He was the critic, or maybe still is, for, uh, what, the Republic? Is that right? I'll get it tomorrow. Huh. And I'll have it finished by Tuesday. Is it the New Republic? Who does he write for? Yeah, New Republic. Yeah. All right, it's on the way for the, the Brain Fuzz Reading Group. There we go. And now... The Brain Fuzz audio pick of the day. So this we could refer to as a hybrid post-pandemic episode because we have, number one, decided to amend what we did previously with the audio pick of the day, which is a, which is new. That's, that's something I, I we haven't this, done. I love this uh, generous we. And that's, no, we did. That's, it was that's collect- because I, I was put on the spot and... Uh, <laughs> Gave a rather long Clavin-esque soliloquy on on not one album, but two albums with an aside about Lancaster, Pennsylvania (laughs) and the Amish. So I decided to to start over. It was totally fine. But I did, like, I think this morning I woke up and... (laughs) 
ever been to Lancaster? Yeah. <laughs> and like, it didn't hit me wrong, but the other day when we were on the phone and you said, ever been to Lancaster? <laughs> but in my brain, I couldn't remember if it was Lancaster or Latrobe. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Pennsylvania is a very large state. All right. I've ne- I had never been to, uh, I've never been to either. I see a brain fuzz trip when the uh, when the can sanctions you, are. Can you do uh, Latrobe and Lancaster in the same? Is that like a shuttle? Can we do a shuttle bus? Is it? Are they? I don't know. Are they that close? Are they not? I don't know. I think we could do them in the same day. Yes. Okay. I don't think it's like Dallas and uh, and Houston though, or Athens and Atlanta. I think there's a little. Okay. All I right. could look on a map, but. Uh, Trying to stay focused here. So it's your turn, and you have the audio pick. It's of the my day. turn again yeah, yeah. for the new and improved. Uh, and again, I, uh, I I still wound up leaning towards two records, but uh, that's because a, a recent release, um, it didn't really spark my interest or reignite interest in in said album but um, i'm i've been just enamored with a a record that came out in 2005 uh titled super wolf uh matt sweeney and bonnie prince billy okay on the fabulous drag city label um and it's one of those that i think i just i've lost track of all time to think that that's 16 years ago yeah and then i remember that this is again uh bonnie prince billy being uh, Will Oldham, one of his uh, many personas that he records under. And if you look at his dis- discography, it's almost a full-time job to keep up with his releases. I mean, it's, some of them are amazing. And But uh, anyway, so this one just kind of been near and dear to me because it's just so weird. It's really spare in places. And the thing, this is the main thing. So Bonnie Prince Billy just is, is just words only on this and singing. And uh, Matt Sweeney is music. Um, and the way this came to be that I've heard both say in interviews, um, I believe Will Oldham asked uh, Matt Sweeney to uh, play with him in London. And he, he gave him a challenge. He's like, and here are like just some lyrics. You come up with some music for it and we'll play it in London. And I think... I think Sweeney needed cash. He was just getting off a tour and broke. And, and he's like, all right. And uh, I'm thinking that's some guts. And he was like, it's very nerve wracking, but it, it turned out pretty well. And then I think that evolved into that first record. But uh, so I guess whenever I listen to it, I just think the amount of um, creativity, I mean, it just runs the gamut. And it's good for me, I think, creatively, because it um, Reminds me not to take myself so seriously because I mean I could never come up with the kind of imagery that Oldham does, and uh, a lot of his lyrics have um, many different. You could take them many different ways, which I think is just just amazing. Um, so again, I just think it's great when you can something that can sound relatively straightforward, and then there's just a lot of lot of layers. Uh, it's a great sounding record. Uh, have you ever heard it? No, I haven't. I've seen this, but I haven't. I haven't heard it. So now, okay, because there's some so like "My Home Is the Sea," "Beast for Thee," fabulous, beautiful song. Um, Blood embrace. Now they, know, hi, highly, highly recommend. Um, I think they've re-released it. If you're wanting it on uh, vinyl, but um, you obviously can get digital, and it's all over the all over the internet's. 
two records. Is that all they put out? Or well, no, this one came out in two thousand five, uh-huh. and then just two thousand or twenty twenty one, they came out with Super Wolves. Okay, so sixteen years between that first collaboration, and they've expanded the uh, a little bit as far as some of the backing musicians, but um, still same premise that you know Oldham's writing the lyrics and Sweeney's basically writing the music. Um, which again, that is kind of fascinating. Maybe it's freeing, but to be able to just take, I mean, think about it. It's like a giant crossword puzzle yep. or jigsaw puzzle. Um, but I think Will Oldham could sing anything. I think you could literally hand him the phone book and he would could put it to melody. Um, Michael Stipe seems to be the same way. I guess as somebody who's played instruments now most of my life, I'm just still astounded with that skill. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. But yeah, uh, Will Oldham just impresses the hell out of me just in terms of his outlook on like the way he lives his life, his creative output. I don't get a lot of it. Um, he doesn't seem to be remotely concerned with the market, with fear, with failure. Um, and I think that's, you know, this, since this episode is like the, uh, the boot camp for artists therapy edition with the <laughs> Jerry Saltz, uh, maxims, yeah. et cetera. But I think Oldham is one of those that just seems to like, wow, here's somebody who's, you know, my age who, has lived his entire life, um, you know, creatively and, uh, and seems to be happy, decent. I don't see him on like page six, like fighting with Alec Baldwin and right. Yeah. That sort of thing. So, uh, I fine like resident of Louisville. And ever been to Louisville? We've been to Louisville. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he actually is credited with, taking the cover photo of uh, 1991's uh, Slint album. Yeah. When they're in the water, they're all uh, compatriots. Okay. I don't have that in front of me. I've got to refresh my memory on that one. I feel like this whole episode, I've been stuck in 1991 with like <coughs> Mirror <Shore>, Slint. <laughs> no, it's just a wide-ranging, you know, it's you get these pandemic. sources. You get these sources from, um, you know, you know hey, look. I'm amazed. You talk about the passage of time. I'm amazed. Uh, you were saying, let's see, you said, what, 16 years on that? 16 years. I got. I saw something the other day. 10th anniversary of MGMT's Oracular Spectacular. And you're like, 10 years already. And I think yeah. it's different now than it used to be. I think that 10 years... I, I wonder how much of it is just now the marketing machine... You can slap a you can, you can reissue something on vinyl, put a tenth anniversary sticker on it. Oh yeah. Whereas in the past, I don't think I'm, I'm going way back to I don't know, like a '70s situation. You wouldn't see something in the '70s like tenth anniversary of such and such. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, what I, I mean? agree. Growing up, it was the, uh, the the machine just was always putting out either greatest hits or the live album. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we got so into the anniversaries until that's definitely I think you're right, it's got to be like the the aughts or you know, yeah. I mean now that that everybody's getting up there like you start hitting your your 30s and 40s and I think it's hard not to look back. Um That's a that's an interesting com- concept, but um But yeah, or there you know the the old days it was they would also throw a remastered at you every once in a while. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. 
which I couldn't always tell a difference, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. 10th anniversary. I don't know if that really makes much big deal. Um, unless you digging out some extra tracks, but I'm feeling a little jaded these days, uh, and trying to be better, um, in terms of if I'm in a, in a, in a record store or shopping virtually, but, uh, for some of these repackaged, you know, we put a couple new photos in there and <laughs> studio outtakes. And I, and I'm starting to think like, you know, most of that stuff, I'm curious as a fan, but, um, but for the money they're asking, it's like, yeah. you know, there was a reason why that was not let out in the first place. Right. And now somebody's got a kid that's in college and somebody yep. with braces and it's like, Oh yeah, I get it. And we haven't been able to tour for two years. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think that was an excellent amendment. Um, it's either one. You can go listen. You can just go to YouTube and uh, probably get them in their entirety. But uh, check them out. I think you'll be. Uh, I'm looking forward to it's it. It's an interesting read. Uh, it's an interesting <laughs> listen. Speaking of which, there was not only an audio uh, assignment, but also the reading assignment. And we started the episode at physically. At your studio. Correct. And let me just mention that this is the first recording we've made in Cellar Space. Which is for... My uh, new recording area in my soon... Next to my soon-to-be new studio. Perfect. Ah, yeah. What's the uh, what's the timetable for that studio? Uh, between contractors, between materials, but I have no idea. Sometime um, by... Sometime around the time I'm no longer physically able to do anything is what it's looking like. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I thought, you know, it's interesting. We kind of bring this full circle. We put a nice little bow on it. I like it. All right. As always, be sure to visit the show notes at brainfuzzpodcast.com for more information on the topics discussed in this episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Brain Fuzz. That's two words, Brain Fuzz. And be sure to leave a thumbs up or a five-star review. Finally, don't forget Instagram at BrainFuzz Podcast for the rare visual nuggets related to the show. Engage in the dialogue, or just say hello, and use hashtag BrainFuzz Podcast. Yeah, likewise. All right, we'll, uh, we'll return soon with guests. Yes, and, fascinating guests. And more content after our various homework Pearl, assignments. We're going to... We're going to interrogate Jed Pearl. <laughs> <laughs>